You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Awesome. Sounds that sounds that sounds perfect. Wanna wanna rock and roll? Let's do it. All right. Let's rock and roll and a little bit of jazz improv. How's that? Hey, hey. You know what? I think you captured I think you captured the show exactly somehow. <laughs> Man, our work here is done. I'm so glad we have to chat. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And uh, we have uh, artists here, Ricardo Levens Morales, uh, who uh, I've followed his art uh, for, for, for quite some time and uh, really been moved uh, by, by the work uh, Ricardo does. I'm uh, pleased and uh, honored, uh, Ricardo, to have you on the show. Welcome to Something Rather Than Nothing. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, seeing your art, uh, I've been involved in in the labor movement. Um, I've worked in the Midwest, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, but I've seen your work. I've seen your work everywhere. Um, And uh, it's really added a lot to my activism in in, in my life. But I wanted to ask you, Ricardo, going back, um, kind of a seminal question. When you were born, were you an artist then? Well, when I was born, I was a baby. <laughs> and, you know, so I had certainly, I was a bundle of cells with a lot of, um, you know, sort of curiosity about the world. And as I developed as a child, like all of us, I learned, one of the things I learned was how to speak, right? And so if you think about all the different ways we communicate by speaking or making marks on things or singing, which is another form of speaking, or movement, which translates into dancing, we learn all of these things through imitation. And you don't get tracked when it comes to speech, like um, whether you're learning sign language or most of us learn, um, you know, audible vocal language, you don't, the adults in your world don't say, oh, well, you're not doing it right, so you're not a speaker. We'll have you do something else. But they do that with the other forms of, of communication, right? Yeah. So that it's a, really a process of narrowing. And I just happened to be one of those lucky children who didn't have adults around to say, no, drawing is not the thing you should be doing, right? So I continued learning that as a, at the same time that I was learning to speak, you know, and some other forms of art I didn't learn. And maybe I had a sibling or my sister who was better at writing. And so she got the strokes for that. And so my parents always provided me with the two basic things that I needed. Well, three, really. One was paper. When my father would take a trip to San Juan, if I was running low on paper, he'd bring back a ream of typing paper and pencils. And the the last one being encouragement, which was really just letting me do my thing. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't being encouraged in the sense of being pushed. It was just I, I got to play the way I wanted to play, which was telling stories on paper. I could make my little pirate ships and all these things and just be lost in a world of telling stories to myself. And, of course, this is an environment where there was no television right. and where we didn't really listen to radio. And there was you know, obviously no computers or anything like that. So this was one of the ways in which I was able to you know, take in stories and then create my own. Yeah. Um, 
I heard there in, in, in you talking uh, about it, um, just kind of the different ways in which we speak and can develop uh, with within art. I know when I talk to artists, um, there tends to be a tension between like defining yourself in, in, in the art form or saying, I do this. Um, you know, I know uh, uh, through a lot of um, your output, um, accessible uh, printmaking that you do um, that helps uh, create awareness around you know, environmental issues, labor issues, things like that. Um, do you do, do you find that uh, uh, as far as what you have wanted to do at art, given your background, being not having those limitations, have you felt in general that you've taken that forward and been able to create in the way that you wish to create? Um, well, I think that I've been freed from some of the kinds of constraints that keep people from creating and also faced others. Um, you know, certainly being for much of my life in a, in a position where I really needed what I was creating to bring in income means a certain narrowing in order to create things that will sell to certain groups or that will uh, be able to meet a deadline. Uh, I started out um, my, my printmaking origins were with woodcut because after we moved to Chicago from Puerto Rico, I could always find scraps of wood. You know, my father might make some shelves for the house and there'd be scraps of wood. And my mother, who had previously done some block printing when she was younger, had the tools to loan me or to let me use. I didn't have inks or rollers, but at least I could carve the wood. Right. right. Um, and so just using the kinds of materials that I had access to, um, provided me with, you know, a, a way to develop my skills. But also I didn't pursue any um, art forms that cost money, that required access to, to presses or to expensive paints and solvents. Uh, and in fact, my art really still carries the imprint of my early pencil and paper days because um, my art has kind of a woodcut linoleum block vibe, even though yeah. I'm working in clay, I'm working on scratch board. But um, I think that, so if you took one of my full color posters and made all the color disappear, you'd still be able to get the story of the poster because my art is still essentially black and white art. It is outlines that I then add the color to, um, which may or may not have anything to do with the question that I have already forgotten. <laughs> well let's let's no no let's 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 keep moving i find i find that um in in talking about art and just talk about two words art in in artist i find that um people's responses to the question of whether they're an artist or not tend to be dominated by the simple conception of what of what art is um mm. you know um i think a lot of times i mention it to folks they say well i don't paint fine things that show up on a gallery wall i'm i'm not an artist i wanted to ask you ricardo as far as you developing as an artist the big the big question about what is art what, what do you think art is fundamentally it's a form of communication so if I make a piece of art, I think this is true for all of us. If I make a piece of art, it's created so that somebody will feel something or think something or do something. That's communication. That's the same reason that we speak to each other. Now, 
it could be directed at myself. It could be to remind myself to feel something or think something or do something, but it's, that's still a form of communication. Um, so I think in its simplest terms, that's really what it is. Yeah, thank you. I I have a, a, a question that I wanted just to, to actually get a little bit of the feel for the, the work you do and the environment that you do it in. Um, I have, I've, I'm kind of outside of the art world and I've become recently fascinated kind of in the areas that artists work in and produce. And, um, you know, you, uh, I understand work in, in an art studio and, 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 and work with others, um, uh, collectively. What, what is, what is, what is your art studio like and how does it lend to you creating uh, all, all these things, um, whether collectively or individually for yourself? Right. Well, first of all, the, what we call the studio is also essentially a shop. It's a storefront on a street next to a coffee house, which of course is very important to a Puerto Rican. Uh, <laughs> and it, um, within it, it's divided up. We have a meeting space. Um, where we can have community meetings as well, a storefront where people can just come in and, and buy things, um, areas for making buttons, for doing mail order, for doing bookkeeping. I have my little area. Um, I'm the only person whose art is featured here. This is really a studio built around my art. The collective that I was once part of closed down in 2009, and it was really necessary for me for my own survival just to create something that would do this although we manage it collectively it's it's clearly just my art um and you know i come out of an organizing background out of an activist background um sometimes i'm creating a lot of art sometimes i'm mostly doing other things speaking or organizing or doing that and to me it all comes down to the same root they're all um sort of branches off of the same tree in terms of what I consider to be my mission in life. Um, and, the, you know, what we have created here is really just accessible to the street when we were looking for a place. And I say we, there's a group of about seven of us here who are working in various amounts of hours, mostly part-time in one way or another. It's very flexible. But, you know, I got was getting invitations to, to be part of, to move into different buildings, right? You know, there's the Sabathany Center, which is um, really rooted in the black community. There's the resource of, for the Americas building, which was um, has a vibe of sort of Latin American, um, you know, exiled community. There's the uh, Vine Arts building, which is sort of more of the art scene, right? And each of those is like a particular filter, you know, that determines who walks through that door effortlessly and who has to talk themselves into walking through it, right? right. Um, but I've always found that having a storefront makes you accessible to anybody. Anybody can walk in. And as an artist and a group that really serves a wide variety, um, variety and diversity of communities, that always felt really important. Yeah. I, I wanted to I wanted to, to ask you, uh, Ricardo, about um, uh, the role of art and not, not assume you know, not assume any component of your answer because you create the definition of art. What is art as communication? And I always ask artists, you know, connected to the question of what art is, what is the question is, what is the role of art and what is it supposed to be doing for us as humans? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, I, 
as in so many things, I can answer that for myself. I can't answer it in the name of art or in the name of artists. But um, I think it's a similar question to what is the role of cooking, right? If you're a cook, if you're a culinary artist, you're, create, you're making creations that have a component that's flavor. You, you're dealing with also with texture. In some traditions, that's really important. Um, and smell and color and nutrition. And, um, and different foods are for different times of day or parts of the meal, right? The sequences to it. So that uh, a different cooks might um, emphasize different aspects of that. But you're not trying to create food that poisons people. You know, and hopefully, you know, maybe it's not all the most nutritious, but at least has some value. Right? <laughs> so that's how I feel about art. It's, it's there for a purpose. It fits into people's lives. It's meant to be nutritious. It's meant to be healing. And in fact, that's really become the fundamental framework for me of my art is that for myself, my intention is that my art be medicinal. That there are different ways in which the toxicity of our world, the toxicity of our culture, the toxicity of our economy harms our emotional, cultural, physical, um, immune and nervous systems. And my art is intended to help um, the inherent resilience of people to overcome those obstacles. Um, my mantra in general is that soil knows how to heal itself, the body knows how to heal itself, the community knows how to heal itself. And whether we're organizers or healers or farmers, our job is to basically try to shield our community, whatever it is, from those toxins so that those natural processes of healing can come into place. So that even though through my art I'm dealing with a lot of issues that have to do with pain and oppression and, and so forth, I'm not a reporter. I'm not there to say, hey, look how shitty things are. People know that. Right. Whether they're in denial or not, their bodies know that. What they don't know often is that we actually have what it takes to overcome that. We have the capacity to heal. We have the capacity to overcome trauma, which gives us the message always, you know, trauma tells me that I'm stuck here. I'll never get out of it. Right. You know, other yeah. people might heal, but I can't. Right. And the one thing I learned, and it took me a long time to realize this, is that a lot of my art is essentially reframing narratives for people, for traumatized people. And I really figured it out in those terms by listening to speeches by Malcolm X. By the time I came to Puerto Rico, from Puerto Rico to the States in 1967, um, Malcolm wasn't around anymore. I was yeah. most influenced by his heirs, groups like the Black Panther Party and other groups yeah. that I encountered in Chicago. And so I really didn't have a real sense of his presence until much later when somebody did me the favor of inventing the internet. Yeah. And then I was able to start actually listen and realize that one of the dimensions of Malcolm was as, a, as an orator, a very talent, and that was an art form. Yeah. Right, and he used humor wickedly. Oh my God, he was good. Yeah. yeah. But what, what I realized in listening to him is that he was doing that same thing. He was essentially one aspect of his work was as a therapist. He was reframing narratives for traumatized people to from 
the traumatic narrative of you are nothing, you deserve it, it's all your fault, um, you can't overcome it, to a narrative of you're powerful, you're beautiful, you don't deserve to be treated this way, you have a right to be fully human, and if that means defending yourself, then so be it. Yep. Right, and the earth is still shaking from that. You know, it's, it's still it's you, you feel the earth those tremors. Some of that are still from the um, supernova that was Malcolm, but that's kind of the role, and it's not always on such an explosive basis. It's off, you know, sometimes it's just vibrations through the bedrock. But that I see is my role which means that when I'm working with a community, when I'm working with a union, when I'm working with an organization, when I'm working with individuals, um, part of my role is to listen for the diagnostic question, which is what is it that's keeping this person, these people, this organization, this community, this nation from understanding its own power? Yeah, I... um. I appreciate your mention of, of 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 Malcolm X and the the vibrancy and the 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 echoes of that. I um, have viewed Malcolm for me as uh, the the courage to pursue intellectually to discard old beliefs, to discard old systems, and to move forward and understand the world and try to you know um, build up more humanity. Uh, that power for me. Like the film Malcolm X was seminal in my experience, listening to Public Enemy and hearing Malcolm X through that through that medium mm -hmm. um, is, was has been uh, deeply, <laughs> deeply important to me. I wanted to I wanted to ask you um, uh, in the sense of, of what art does and connect it to to the labor movement. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, so I've been working in labor um for 21 years and I was, uh, was in Madison, uh, with Scott Walker in 2011, uh, Madison teachers, uh, who I worked for, uh, at the time. And, you know, as a movement is the movement that I've, I've been employed in, um, you know, it's, it's a unique history and read a certain way. It's pretty Don dour in, in, in declining. Now I want to say to you, Ricardo, that, when I've seen you're just talking about like labor art and the color and the vibrancy and you connecting labor to environmentalism, I we've never met. I've seen those type of things. And there's been some, I don't know, some soul or some energy that that comes through that that has kept that and in, 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 in reading the powerful stories of labor that kept me going. But with with say the the labor movement, or say even if you used environmental concerns, which you bring about in your art, um, it's tough times. What does do you think art has just that continued role, the way that you describe it, to kind of energize me, energize you, energize people who are concerned in in tough times? Well, yes. I mean, I think. You know, if we go back to the medicinal aspect of, of art, um, if we look at the ways in which people are harmful to each other, it's really um, is propelled by a belief in scarcity. There isn't going to be enough. The, the brilliance of capitalism is that it can generate unimaginable surpluses while imposing a narrative of scarcity. 
so that we're all scrambling at each other and are hypervigilant and are defensive, right? So the, and that really is based on lies. You know, it's about that scrambling ruthlessly is the only way to get things, right? And what I find, especially in studying nature, is that if you approach life from a perspective of abundance, you can find solutions even if there really is scarcity. Mm. You can find ways to share what little there is and not leave people behind. So that the antidote to lies is truth, right? The yeah. antidote to toxins is nutrients to, to support the immune system. So that in the hard times, these things become more important than ever, right? And that's also why we who uh, who live through these hard times need to be very grounded ourselves in our understandings of history and life and truth and lies. Because too often we just think in the short term and we adapt to whatever the, the climate happens to be. Um, because you figure, well, if I'm going to survive in a toxic environment, I need to learn how to uh, survive on toxins. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, crap in, crap out, right? Yeah, so that, and for me, the way I think what has grounded me is the fact that I grew up in the forest, that I grew up in my playground was a natural ecosystem. And that teaches about cycles and flows and, um, you know, abundance and replenishment and depletion and time lags, right? You can't hurry an egg when a bird lays an egg. You can't, there's no fast forward button. There's no pause button to get to the good part, right? To cut to right. the chase. So that that means that when I came to the this country, it was in a time of mass movements, right? Immigration, adolescence, and revolution all at once, right? Perfect storm yeah. for a growing kid. But that meant I was prepared when those movements evaporated when they were either crushed or bribed or replaced into submission, it did not create an existential crisis for me. It was like, oh, okay, now I, I came here in a period when the tide was in, now the tide has gone out. So what do I need to do? What are the tasks that I need to do in order to be prepared for the next time the tide comes in? Yeah. How do we prepare it so that when the tide comes in, the stories have been maintained, the history is still there, the lessons have not been lost, so that we can make the most advantage of the tide as possible? And now we're in a time of mass movements, and part of what I'm you know, considering is what are the stories that we need so that when the tide goes out again, for one thing, it won't go as far out. Yeah. Because with climate change and such, we can't afford to have long periods between the tides, yeah. but also so that um, we uh, we get to keep enough of the as many people as possible who just have been mobilized, and that their shifts of consciousness are profound enough that they'll be with us through the dark time, through the time when the tide is out, hopefully for a short period, and the next tide will come in and rise even higher. Yeah, I I. I... I appreciate your explanation too, because I, I think that's always a really tough task for people to understand who are interested in, in history and development of things repeating themselves or like a linear type of development and right. just thinking about what you can do, um, you know, what you can do, you know, at, at that, 
at that time. And, um, and, and the thing about history is that it's, it's, it moves in a spiral, not in a circle. So whenever we come around to the same point, right, to the north side of the circle, we're still always in a different place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how do we make advantage of that and push that on so that at each point in the cycle, it can be, and in ecology, you have this too. You can have a downward spiral in an ecosystem where it becomes more barren, where the soil is washed away, where gullies develop, where no nutrients are re retained and fewer and fewer life forms can exist. And you can reverse that. And there's strategies to reverse a downward spiral in an ecological field or a stream so that you begin the reverse process. And that's really what, what our struggle is, is how do we create an upward spiral toward liberation? Because when you do that, things become easier and easier. It's like having the wind at your back as opposed to in your face. It's, it's, it's an extremely powerful um, idea. And I've talked, I guess, at times as, I, as I've done the podcast where I started out, it was never just intended to be conceptual about art. It was supposed to be about life. But I think when you mentioned like philosophy and art to folks, it, it could easily move towards you know, be an esoteric or a conceptual type of discussion. But I think with the way you describe it around creativity, medicine, you know, philosophy, philosophy as, as therapy, art as there, like there's this healing component. And I wasn't able to, to, to learn that until I started doing the podcast and talking to a very diverse group of folks and hearing uh, from indigenous communities as running that it, running is medicine and creating things are medicine and it was um, it was very powerful, particularly if the mind's caught up in a negative track of, uh, I don't know, commercialism or objects and that type of thing. So uh, the power of your ideas um, is, is very helpful as medicine in and of itself. Um, Ricardo, uh, I wanted to ask uh, related to the question of, you know, when you're an artist, where you're born, but to take into account um people or, or things that have impacted you. And the question is this, who or what made you who you are? Mm -hmm. Well, the phrase it takes a village comes to mind, um, but really it takes a whole ecosystem. So one of my most profound teacher I've already mentioned, and that's the forest. Uh, when it, where I grew up, you know, all the water we got came from the sky right? And we collected it on the roof and sort of being in touch with those kinds of things. And it took me a long time to realize that that is actually underlies my understandings of how you organize for change is based on those kinds of cycles and rhythms and patterns. Um, definitely my parents who were involved, they were activists long before I was born and they were involved in the Puerto Rican independence movement and had this sense that change comes even if we won't live to see it we can still contribute to it and that that matters, yeah. right? Um, so that in some ways, that's one of the reasons I think I was spared a lot of the things that trigger despair in people, you know, that I'm able to, and, and to think, and I guess one of the ways in which I like to talk about that is that I think I was, had the good fortune to have developed to some degree a healthy policy on disappointment, right? And I think that the real key, I think, for all of us to ask ourselves, what is your policy on disappointment and, and around what things? Like if you're involved in social change, for example, and there's a setback and you're disappointed, people you had faith in 
turned out to be assholes, right? Or or what you hoped would be bring immediate change turned out not to. Is your policy that you will, is it a cynical policy, which is to say, oh, dang, I knew nothing worked anyway. So I'm going to go back and, you know, sip margaritas on the beach, right, in in Margaritaville. Or, oh, I need to learn what what is wrong here. What went wrong? What went right? Where is the resilience in this picture? What do we need to support to move forward? Yeah, and 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 there's 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 a part there I think um, I I hear in what you're saying that I think is a dynamic to handle in any movement um, is like the knee jerk reaction, right? Well, we filed the grievance, management sucks, it didn't work out, the union didn't advocate. Therefore, I don't give a shit about the union anymore. There's this kind of like service minded, whether it's labor or anything uh-huh. uh, like that. I think your question is a great one. You, how do you handle when things have gone wrong? What is you know your policy on? I believe you said like disappointment or or, or frustration. I think um, without one, I think the reaction is kind of abandoned or not have a a connection to what it is um, that you're up to. Yeah, I love okay. that question. Yeah. yeah I'm going to interject there. The way that first, you know, sort of formulated itself in my mind was when I was asked to participate in a workshop organized by inmates in one of the state prisons here who were working with a community organization. And the people participating, a lot of them were, this was a men's prison where there were a fair, no- a large number of people who, we're looking at being released in the fairly near future, right? Within perhaps within a month, a few months or a year or something like that. And that's the question that I explored with them. It's like, what does it mean if you've been thinking about nothing for the last eight years or 10 years or 15 years and getting out to get out and then dis- and discover that the people who you were counting on to hold you are expecting you to hold that (laughs) or that doors are slammed in your face because now you have a felony record or that things have changed enough that you just don't know how to navigate that. And it's just, it's disappointing. Right. So it's like the waves that you have to get through. If you're leaving the beach and want to get out to the calmer water, you have to get, make it your way through the surf. And a lot of people go through that when they first enter prison all this storm of emotions, right, that you need to get through. And if you think about being released in a similar way, is okay, when you know that, then you can have your eyes on that calmer water on the other side. And then whatever is buffeting you doesn't feel so overwhelming because you have a narrative for it. You have an understanding of it. It's not just being experienced. Yeah, I... um... I, I, I really I really appreciate it. And it just places it for me. It's it's I've been following uh, a project in um, and there are different ones around, but um, in Australia about um, indigenous uh, um, uh, individuals in prison and, and, and their creative, the creative work of thinking about wherever any human being is positioned, they're going to still have the same needs from art or expression and um, it's so vibrant. And I think uh, I appreciate you mentioning that and opening up the, the space because there's just not a lot of space once people have been termed criminal or criminality. Mm-hmm. 
And um, by mentioning that, I really appreciate you uh, opening up that that space. I got a big question. I got a big question. It's the titular question of the show, uh, Ricardo. Why is there something rather than nothing? Dang, if I know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think the answer, when we make it more specific about any one thing, then the answer is because something happened. Right. In fact, something is still happening in verb based languages, like a lot of indigenous languages. And interestingly enough, in Marxist dialectics as well, objects are simply a snapshot of processes. Right. In the Ojibwe language, a chair, the word chair has contained within it a time before it was a chair and a time after it will no longer be a chair and a bunch of other tenses that I don't even understand in between. Wow. So that objects are in motion all the time, becoming something else, which we don't have in noun-based languages, where things are simply set. So why is there something other than other than nothing? I don't know if there is. There are processes, certainly, and they're there because they happened, and they grew from something. And I think it's one of those healthy questions that always remains a question yeah because there's no answer yeah um mm-hmm. ricardo i wanted to uh to, to to ask you um and and i mentioned this in the sense that um your your work has adorned union halls where i've <laughs> where i've worked and uh in the midwest and, and out here on the west coast um, I've mentioned to you how important it is the, the, the color, the message, the vibrancy to have the art, um, you know, about something that's so important to me that I put my life towards it. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. I'd like listeners to be able to connect with uh, what you what you do. Can you can you mention, you know, where to find where to find you, where to find uh, the art, um, where to access it, either physically in person or uh, online? Well. Physically in person, um, certainly anybody who comes near the point on the globe known as Minneapolis can stop in our shop, you know, once we're open again to the public, depending on the vagaries of pandemics. Our hope is to be open in September. Um, I do go to conventions sometimes, union conventions, or we do. I'm not the only one who can do that. Um, it's most easily accessible for people who are far flung by ordering online. The website is rlmartstudio.com. And I think our Instagram is something like at rlmartstudio or Ricardo Levens Morales or something like that. I have far more savvy minds in the shop who generally handle the Instagram available as the, you know, under the studio name in um on facebook yeah so yeah you can find us we're around yeah i um uh and 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 thank you for being around and i and i tell you ricardo i i i've just i've i've learned i've learned a lot um uh, from you and and there's a certain self-serving part of this i could see within the questions about you know you know, you know, the labor movement working, working for justice, you know, the medicine that's there and the fuel that's there. I didn't know that I was striving for it, 
but um, I have been striving for it. And, and part of it is it are these conversations where I can understand how we can connect with each other, you know, how, where, where the, the hope is. And so I, I want to tell you how important it is um, uh, to me and the popular aspect of what you do, um, I think helps others experience that. So I just wanted to let you know that absolutely um, directly and to, for you to understand that it's a deep honor to have your uh, answers to these questions and to, to come onto the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that. And, and really, conversations, connections, having coffee with people is in some ways one of the most important parts of the work that I do. And being visible as an artist, it's like putting out a flower is to attract the hummingbirds, right? Right. And you can have those more intimate conversations. But I also wanted to mention for your, your listeners, because there's a lot of mysticism around what it means to be an artist and how you become yeah. one. Yeah. And I just want to say that after moving to Chicago, I dropped out of high school, never went back, never, didn't know what, that there was such a thing as the so-called art world. Um, you know, recently coming up through the grassroots, now I, I get invited to apply for things or to be in galleries or whatever, but that wasn't my universe. Um, I grew up, you know, doing art in in graffiti, you know, cartoon conversations on factory walls, right? Right. And in those kinds of community venues and doing wedding invitations for people. So I just want to say that as, a, as sort of a form of encouragement that there's no particular route, there's no particular qualifications in my entire life, nobody has ever asked me for credentials. Right. One of the few things, you know, um, yeah. of course, as an artist, I can always design and print a, a college diploma if I wanted to. <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. But, um, but people just want to know, what what can you do? Do you have medicine for me? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I thank you for saying that because even from, you know, for me and I, many, many folks I talk to, it does seem to be something otherworldly about it. It does seem something, you know, that you have to have a few things dotted. And I think uh, your invitation as far as, you know, creatives to say, hey, you know, the, the it's in the action. It's in, it's in the doing. And um, uh, that's particularly, um, particularly inspiring. And um, part of this uh, podcast has been, you know, philosophy for the for the masses. Right. I think little kids ask questions of like. Why is that? And I think that it's kind of crushed out of them or their artistic creativity. You know, I want to draw it this way and that's kind of not the right way. So mm -hmm. I think conversations, you know, as you mentioned, can kind of open up uh, the idea of possibility and allow um, access. And the proof is what you're able to, to do or say. Mm -hmm. or one of, the, one of the things that disillusioned me with school and that helped contribute to me ultimately dropping out was the only art class I ever remember taking. It was a class in which the teacher would pick the drawing that one kid did and hold it up and tell the class, this is the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah. As someone who had always loved to draw, my picture was often the one that was held up. But, in, you know, intuitively and viscerally, that just felt so wrong. That's not what this should be about. And also, I mean, when you were talking, what it made me think about was that art is really... I guess what I would say is that the way we figure out how to do art is to listen for the art beat, right? Like the heartbeat that our 
bodies are operate on the basis of circadian rhythms, cycles, some of which take a fraction of a second, some of which are happen on hourly cycles. Um, there are different kinds times of day when we absorb different kinds of nutrients and use them differently. There's the day and night cycle. There are lunar cycles. There are annual cycles. And art, music, dance are, I think, all ways of stating and therefore being able to be more aligned with the rhythms of the natural world. And that, in fact, when I look at the histories that I have immersed myself in to try to understand how we change things, that when our movements fail, it's because we have lost track of or are not really aligned with these natural rhythms. What are the rhythms of healing? You know, why is it that movements that are victorious sometimes replicate the oppressions that they are meant to overcome? And I think that's where the hope is, that the more we can delve into, understand, decipher, and collectively get a grip on what these cycles, rhythms, nature is, what nature is demanding of us, the more we can effectively organize, the more we can be an effective union local, and the more we can you know, work for deeper, more long-term transformational change. Yeah. Um, uh, and thank you. One of the things that I, I thought as far as, um, uh, you know, working with with my locals is to develop a, a zine uh just a different way of presenting information to members because i know the grievance form is enough to make you go to sleep or stick your head in the sand but mm -hmm. you know a, a depiction of the maybe the work that you do in the school to try to teach a student might be inspiring to you and you know just kind of ways of presenting um maybe connecting to that beat or connecting to like what people want to come in contact with uh, that's maybe less mundane or <laughs> inspiring. So, yeah, no, it's like at union for decades at union conventions, I've often taught workshops on creative organizing and it breaks my heart that there even needs to be such a phrase, you know, it's like health food, <laughs> right? right? Or affordable, <laughs> affordable housing. Yeah. Right. You know, consensual sex. Right. Um, you know, living wage. I mean, my goal is to make all of these terms obsolete. Yeah. Right? They, they speak truth, so we need to use them, but to make them unnecessary. Right? Why yeah. should you have to specify a particular form of organizing that's creative, that speaks to people deeply, that awakens their passions and sets them on fire? Right? It's mm -hmm. because we've come to accept these strange ideas that the way to reach people is by deadening their imaginations <laughs> yeah yeah it's tap into tap into the medicine tap into the creativity and mm -hmm. um uh ricardo levens morales um again a uh, deep pleasure um connecting with you uh learning uh learning from you and um uh, your art uh does a lot of work for the people um Thank you again. Um, I look forward to all the things uh, you create, and I encourage all listeners to, um, to 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 connect to the medicine, to connect to this. You know, which, as you said, art beat. I never thought about it in natural rhythms, but a mm -hmm. profound idea and and very helpful for me. So, um, there's and, some medicine yeah. for me, right? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, and thank you to 
all of the people out there who I cannot see or hear, but who I know will be listening to this conversation at some point. And I thank all of you for your own, bringing your own heartbeats to the jam session and for <laughs> all that you are doing in order to support our collective resilience. Thank you, brother. In right. solidarity with Ricardo Levins Morales, um, hope to talk to you again soon, brother. Okay, be well. You too. This is Something Rather Than Nothing, 